like addressing the question, what happened in the wilderness? All but two of the original millions that left Egypt with Moses died in the wilderness. And we're trying to address the question, why? Why didn't they enter into the rest that God promised them? Seems to be an important question. In order to solve a problem, we, real, we must first accurately identify it. If we find the answer to their spiritual problems, why they went awry in the wilderness, perhaps we'll find the answer to our own as a, as a nation or as a world. Why do we have so many spiritual problems? Why so much infighting? Why so little tolerance? Why failing morals? Let's see if we can find some answers to our question from what the Israelites experienced. It says, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. It's one thing to start well. It's another thing to finish well. The evidence of being connected to Christ, according to this verse, is finishing well, not just starting well. Uh, we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Whereas so many started well, very few, only two, going through the wilderness finished well. And again, what we want to try to understand is why, what happened. This was important for first century Jews to understand. This letter to the Hebrews is being written to first century Jewish Christians. It was one thing for them to put their faith in Christ about 15 years earlier. It was quite enough for them, quite another though, for them to believe in the today of the writing. What it says, as has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It was one thing back then to believe, but as he's writing to this group, today was not a, well, I think in general today is a really difficult day to believe. It's easier to look back maybe and believe that God was with us. It's easy to look ahead to, to see that God will be with us. But today, with the things that we are threatened with today, today is a hard day to believe. And that's what the writer is encouraging these Jewish Christians and encouraging us to, to be able to do. The believers addressed in this letter, they were running out of gas spiritually. They started well, but they are some are dropping out of the race. And others are saying good riddance to those who are dropping out of the race. Um, and again, why? Let's go back to the wilderness and let the writer um, in Hebrews kind of tell us what's going on. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So the problem was unbelief, disbelief. That's what the writer says. The grumbling and testing that really was about unbelief. 
the disappointments and discouragement. That was really about unbelief. The inability to lay hold of God's promise and to enter into the place where God wanted, that really was about unbelief, disbelief. It says in verse 18, And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest to those who disobeyed? That word disobeyed literally means they were unpersuaded. It's a disobedience rooted in disbelief. If you tell me to do something and I don't trust you, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. But the reason I'm not going to do what you tell me to do is I don't trust you in the first place. And that's what this word disobey means. It's a disobedience rooted in disbelief. It's disobedience that is the problem. This is kind of hard to swallow. If you think of what alarms you about yourself or others, we pretty much, we are alarmed more by our behaviors than our beliefs. If you think of yourself and think of where you are spiritually, you probably will think about what you do and don't do. And you imagine that if I was more spiritual, I would do this. And because I'm less spiritual, I do that. We tend to focus on our behaviors where this writer is saying at the root of the issue is not behaviors, it's beliefs. And we tend to not consider our beliefs more. We tend to consider our behaviors. Um, but disbelief is at the root of the issue, this writer says, and this is not just true for Jews. Apparently, it's true for Gentiles as well. Paul writes, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And in first century, there were two different groups of people. There were Jews and Gentiles. And Paul is writing now not about the spirituality of Jews. He's writing about the spirituality of Gentiles. Look what he says. He says, he talks about no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. What is their problem? It says they are engaging in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Certainly their behavior is an issue, but what the writer indicates, their behavior is really not at the root of the problem. Look what it talks about, darkened understanding. Their image of God is not accurate. They can't see him as he is. It says separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. There's a lack of understanding. There's a presence of ignorance. And that seems to be at the root of the problem. It's a belief issue. And this belief leads to the kind of sensuality that they give themselves over to. It says they have lost all sensitivity. It says, so having lost all sensitivity, and that that creates the problem. 
what it means to lose sensitivity is when something doesn't create pain anymore. It could mean one of two things. It's something that has become so calloused so that they really don't feel it anymore on a spiritual level. But it could also mean, and I think it probably has more to do with, it also has the sense of despondency. A despondency. It would be someone who understands what's expected of them. They understand, I can't do this. I can't do what I'm being asked to do. There's no way I could succeed spiritually. And that sense of despondency would lead them so... If I can't make it in this direction, I'm just going to go for all the gusto I can. I, I can't be who God wants me to be. I can't do what God wants me to do. And this leads to a sense of despondency. So what the heck? I'm, I'm going to give myself to try to have the best time that I can. I told you about, um, I mentioned it, but I always think about it in this respect. I was aware of a, a, a young man in his 20s who ended up going to prison. He was kind of went on a joyride with some of his friends, didn't know where they were going, and it ended up, he stayed in the car, they pulled over in front of a liquor store and robbed it. And he was with them, and the police came and caught him. And so they all went to prison, and this guy ended up going to county lockup, and he ended up have, requesting that they put him into solitary confinement because he was really frightened. At any rate, I, a while ago, and I, I paid him a visit, and I said, boy, I'm sorry to hear, what happened? And he said, oh, I was hanging out with friends, and I didn't know what they were doing. And so they went inside, and they robbed the store, and then the police came. And so he was waiting to be arraigned, and he had to spend some time in prison. And so I said, so what are you doing? He goes, well, I asked him to put me in solitary because I'm really frightened. I said, how did this all happen anyways? And then he started to tell me about, yeah, my folks are Christians, and I just, I just, can't be the person they want me to be. I can't be the person God wants me to be. I just kind of given up. And I'm not doing really bad things, but I, I'm not really all that concerned about being with God. I just can't be who he wants me to be. He was despondent. You know what we ended up doing? We ended up talking about God's promises and that in the new covenant, God says he'll put his law in your heart. He'll cause you to know him. He'll forgive your wickednesses and remember your sins no more. And he says, tell me that again. God says he's going to write his law in your heart and he'll help you to know him and he'll forgive your wickedness. And he goes, is that true? I say, yeah. He goes, I haven't heard that before. And then we talked about it a little bit more. And then I left him. And then I went back about a month later, about two weeks later, two weeks, three weeks. And I asked, how are you doing? And he goes up, and he really did. I asked him to let me out of solitary. I said, why? He said, if God's going to be with me, what am I afraid of? You know why you couldn't trust God to begin with? It was despondency. I can't be who he wants me to be. He was basing his belief on his ability to behave. What ended up happening when he focused not on his behavior, but his belief, nurturing his belief, ended up allowing him to behave. That's the way it works. Disbelief is at the root of disobedience. So belief is at the root of behavior. We have to deal with the belief problem. Again, uh, in order to solve a problem, 
we've got to be able to identify it. If the root problem we deal with is disobedience, then fix your obedience. That's not the root problem. If the root problem is belief, then we need to fix our beliefs. And that's what this writer is saying. How does disbelief develop in the first place? Let's see what happens in the wilderness. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sinai, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Disbelief begins with disappointment. They traveled to place to, from place to place as the Lord commanded, and they were led into disappointing circumstances. And that's where disbelief starts from. When we end up experiencing something that we don't we didn't want to experience in the first place, something that's disappointing in our job or in our marriage or in our kids or in our life. Disappointments are difficult to deal with. We can trace disbelief to past disappointments. Disbelief really isn't about theological questions. Really not what's at the heart of disbelief. Disbelief is rooted in, why did this happen to me? Why did that happen to me? Why did I have to experience this or that? Disbelief is about disappointing circumstances. And the fact is, if we walk with God, we're going to end up in disappointing circumstances. That's non-negotiable. Disbelief begins with disappointment, and disbelief, disappointment ends in disbelief. What it says but the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Chronic difficulties erode belief. Chronic challenges erode belief. Very difficult to deal with. There's a uh, kind of a very cruel experiment that I learned about when I was studying psychology in in college, and I've heard about it. It's called it's a it's an experiment that was called learned powerlessness. What they would do is they put a dog in a cage and put a partition halfway across the cage that is low enough so the dog could jump over it and put this cage and so there's two halves of the cage and there's a partition and the dog can leap over and what they do is they shock one side and, and then the dog jumps over and then they shock that side and the dog jumps over and the dog will continue to do that and then they shock both sides so the dog jumps and can't get away from it and jump and what the dog will end up doing is lying flat and just absorbing the shock. Learn powerlessness. He knows he can't get away. He can't, he can't get away from the pain. And in order to get the dog to jump, they actually literally have to shock and lift the dog to get the dog to jump back over. When we experience chronic disappointment, there's a progression. We tend to go through protest despair, and detachment. Protest. 
When you go through something, maybe the initial reaction is anger. But if you can't get out of it, anger kind of runs out of gas and anger becomes despair, protest and despair. And despair over time becomes, I don't care anymore. Despondency, I don't care anymore. The problem with dis misbehaving, it really is rooted in misbelieving. I don't care anymore. I'm not going to be able to be who he wants me to be anyways. Um, I can't trust you to care about me. When we experience chronic difficulty, we call the care of others into question. When things either this way or, or that way, um, we call the care of others into question. Um, this is, this, I, guess, I guess, is natural. Look what it says in the beginning from the book of Genesis. Um, the serpent says, you surely, you will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Why eat the fruit? God says, don't. Why eat it? And what the woman ended up, because, and she did it because, yeah, it really wasn't just the woman's thing. Talked about this before. The serpent talked to the woman, but the woman already had been in, kind of, Adam had indicated to her, not only did God say, don't eat from the fruit, but don't even touch it. So, because that's what God communicated to Adam. Don't eat the fruit. When the serpent asked the woman, what did God say? She said, don't eat the fruit and don't even touch it. Where did she eat? Don't even, where did she hear? Don't even touch it. It came from Adam. He was afraid that God was going to take her. So he had to protect her from God. Anyways, um, why eat the fruit? And she says, well, because wisdom will let me have all the answers. The fruit of the tree is good for wisdom. I'll learn things. It's not just I'll have all the answers because sensory gratification will soothe me. It's good for food. It's pleasing. It's pleasing. I'm gonna, it'll taste good. Why am I going to eat it? It'll make me smart. And you know what it, all this is rooted in? I need the wisdom and I need the sensory gratification because I can't trust God to care for me. What the serpent plants is doubt about. You can't really trust God. He doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. This is the kind of thinking that disappointments create. Um, dealing with disbelief means that we need to deal with the disappointments that breed the disbelief. And it's not natural to do so. Hiding is natural. Avoiding is natural. Look what happened. The man said, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. You know what's, you know what's natural when we go through disappointments? Hiding is natural. Avoiding is natural. 
trying to get away from others, trying to get away from God, not just hiding and avoiding, but also hurling. Look what it, what it says. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. And I ate. So you see what's happening. So he got, he was caught and they tried to hide from the Lord. And then, then they were called before God and, and what Adam says, it's her fault. You know, she's the one that gave me the fruit. So that's hurling is natural. Attacking is natural. You know what's natural when we go through disappointments? Hiding is natural and hurling is natural. Avoiding is natural. And attacking others is natural. Blaming others is natural. Blaming ourselves is natural. You know what's unnatural? Approaching. Approaching is unnatural. And this is what Apparently, what God wanted them to learn, the Lord answered Moses. This is back in the wilderness now. Walk on ahead of the people. I will stand before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? That was the thing that they were dealing with. You know what the question they were asking? What God's, God's assessment of it? They were asking this question. Is the Lord among us or not? And the sense he must not be because we don't have what we want. And because they didn't have what they want, they assumed that God was a non-entity, that he was he had abandoned them. So they hid and they hurled and they avoided and they attacked and they complained to Moses and they complained to one another. And they didn't ask God for what they wanted. They didn't even tell God that they were disappointed. They treated him as if he didn't even exist. That's the problem. When we disbelieve starts with disappointment, and disappointment ends in doubt. We ended up getting to the place where we don't believe that God cares about us or he can do anything anyways. And what we end up doing is hiding and hurling rather than holding and approaching him, avoiding and attacking. Dealing with disbelief means dealing with the disappointments that breed the disbelief, the question. What do we do with our disappointments? We wonder why God allows us to experience them in the first place. Doubt comes naturally. Dealing with disappointments means that we need to learn to approach God rather than attack ourselves or attack others. Learning to deal with disappointments means that we need to learn to approach rather than avoid or attack. It means that we need to learn to hold God's hand and hold our, hold our disappointments and hold his hand rather than hide or hurl. Um, so it says, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. 
My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. You know what it means to trust in God? It means that to trust in God means that you pour out your heart to him, that you tell him about your disappointments. I'm going to suggest two things as we think as we move towards closing. You might think about it as spiritual breathing. Two things to do in order to deal with the disbelief that is that leads to that comes from disappointments. I suggest this that we learn to exhale our concerns and inhale God's commitments. Exhale our concerns. Inhale God's commitments. Tell God about the things you're concerned about, the things that are disappointing. It's important to do that because that's how we treat God as if he's real. That's what they didn't do in the wilderness. Is God among us or not? He must not be, so I'm going to complain about Moses. I'm going to complain about the boss. I'm going to, and it's okay to complain, but what God wants us to do is treat him as if he exists. And to learn to talk to him, it's not natural to do so. Avoiding is natural. And attacking is natural. Hiding is natural. And hurling is natural. That's natural. Approaching God with our disappointments. Being honest with him. Exhaling our concerns to him. That's not natural. And that's how we get at the belief. Not just exhaling our concerns, but inhaling his commitments. Exhale concerns. God, I need this, I need inhale commitments. Thank you that you're in me. Would you agree that if all you do is exhale pretty soon, <laughs> that's not going to work. If you just exhale concerns, but don't think about God's promises, that's not going to work. It's, it's not going to deal with the disbelief problem. Neither will praising God and honoring him, but not being honest. It, both things, exhale your concerns. Inhale his commitments. Exhale your concerns. God, I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like this circumstance. And God, I need wisdom. I exhale your concern, but inhale his commitments. God, thank you that you're with me. God, this is difficult. Thankful. Breathe. Spiritual breathing. Why would we do this? Because in the wilderness, this is how we deal with disappointments. It's how we deal with the disbelief that is at the root of the issue. By t learning to come to God, and again, this is not something fast. Again, I'll say this one last time, avoiding and attacking is natural. You don't have to learn to do that. Hiding and hurling, you don't have to learn to do that. We, that comes fully loaded. The thing that doesn't come is learning to approach God honestly. That takes time to learn. You know what the deal is? And if we wait for a crisis to do it, we can't learn this in a crisis. It begins in non-crisis time. Let me suggest either in the morning or at night. Don't it have to take a whole long time, but just develop a discipline. Think about your day. What are you experiencing that's disappointing? And work? At home? Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's emotional. It's disappointing. Think about it. Don't, don't push it away. Don't hide. Don't avoid it. 
No, God wants you to do with that. Tell him about it. God, it's hard for me at work right now. It's hard for me what I'm experiencing here. This relationship's hard for me. Exhale your concerns. What promises are you aware of? A good one. God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. In the middle of the disappointment, well, God says, I'm never going to abandon you. I'm never going to leave you in a hard place alone. So you can thank him for that. Even though I have this difficulty, thank you that you are with me. I'm concerned. Thank you for your commitments. I'm concerned. Little by little, we learn to breathe, and that's how we get at the root of the problem. Let's stand for closing prayer. God's spiritual breathing takes practice. Again, reacting to disappointments doesn't take practice. Responding takes practice. We have to learn to approach you, to treat you as you exist. It's easy to blame ourselves. It's easy to blame others. It's harder to approach you, but that's what you're going to teach us. I imagine for all of us here that we're dealing with things that we would rather not have to deal with. And you don't want us to avoid the disappointment. You want us to touch it and talk to you about it. Be honest about what we're dealing with, but not just to be honest and express our concerns, but be honest and inhale your commitment so that we can walk through difficulties with our hand in yours. In Jesus' name, amen.